Unforgiveness imprisons us to a particular person or action that wronged us. Yet forgiveness is the key for unlocking the prison doors. See, when someone wrongs us, and I think we can all relate to us or relate to this or hurts us, we become someone else. We become different than who we were prior to that event. For many, we become victims where the action of someone else now defines who we are. We feel that our identity changes and instead of being you, you become the victim of someone else. And unless the Lord intervenes, you will be trapped there. Unless the Lord intervenes, you will be stuck in that place. See, forgiveness is the means by which we are not defined by the actions of others. It also means that we're not defined by our own wrong choices. Because wrong decisions, they cut both ways. Those done to us and those done by us. And I'm hoping today in the prayer for this particular service for you was that if you have unforgiveness in your hearts towards someone that the Lord would touch you today. If you have done something that has wronged someone else that you would find forgiveness in the Lord. In Matthew chapter 18 to lay, I think, the foundation for what we're gonna be looking at this morning, verses 21 through 35, you can turn there, it's a big chunk of scripture. But Jesus explains to Peter after Peter asked him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And Jesus goes on to explain. In Matthew 18, verse 23, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. In verse 28, Jesus continues and says, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And verse 31 says, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And Jesus says, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. 
And verse 35, so my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. 10,000 talents, equivalent of millions today. Denarii, a few bucks. The master forgave the overwhelming debt, but then once he was forgiven, wouldn't forgive a small debt. Jesus came, died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, all the wrong that you have ever done and will ever do. Yet today, there are no doubt some of you that are living trapped in the past of your mistakes. There are others of you that are trapped in the past of others' mistakes. Yet again, forgiveness is the key to unlocking the prison doors. First and foremost, when you put your faith in Jesus, he forgives you of all of your sin. So you're no longer trapped by your past sins. You've been set free, as Jesus said in John 8, 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So often we wrestle with the phantoms of our past mistakes. The sin that we have made. No matter how egregious it may or may not be, those things seem to revisit us from time to time. But Jesus says, I've set you free. I have forgiven your debt. I have removed your sin. I have cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's what happens the moment that you put your faith in Jesus. Everything that you couldn't stand yourself for, Jesus knew about it. He paid the price for it, and he's freed you from it. That is a huge, huge blessing. That is a massive, massive blessing. And now that you're a new creation in Christ, and your past has been wiped out, and all things have been made new, you are no longer defined by your mistakes in the sight of God. You are no longer that man. You are no longer that woman. Who you were known as is no longer who you are known as now. Your sin has been blotted out. You have a clean slate. Your identity is no longer built out of sinful actions and desires, but is now found to be in Christ and his great love for you. That changes everything about you. But what about all of those things that have, done, have been done to you by someone else? What about all the ways that you've been wronged? You've been hurt. You've been mistreated. What about those things? Is there freedom to be found there? Because I understand I've done wrong things. I've asked God to forgive me, and he has forgiven me. And what a joyous occasion that is. But what about all of those things that have been done to me? like I mentioned earlier, that seem to have changed me, changed my trajectory, have changed who I am, and now my identity is found in something that someone else did to me, or how they mistreated me, or how they messed up my life. Is there freedom to be found there? Well, the answer to that is yes. There is freedom. 
Because I know firsthand what it is like to have someone do something to you that negatively impacts your life. I lived for a long time holding on to anger, and that anger was eating at me from the inside out. But it wasn't until I found forgiveness in my heart for the other person that I was set free from that period of time. Isn't it funny how the replays in your life keep you stuck somewhere? You look back at a particular point in your life and, oh, that, that was a defining moment. That's the, that's the time that I keep going back. I keep circling back. I keep going back. I keep circling back. But what God did in my life, quite frankly, was miraculous. Instantly, I found myself free from being enslaved in my thoughts and enslaved to my past. Then the Lord took that anger and he replaced it with his supernatural love. The Lord took my plans, quite frankly, in full disclosure, to destroy that person one day and replaced it with a supernatural peace. Only God can do that. Because there will be things in your life where you would categorize them as a bad something happening to a good someone. But if you are a new creation in Christ and God has set you free from your past mistakes, don't you think the same God who did that for you can also set you free from others' mistakes towards you? The Lord will often use people to mediate such things. He'll bring people across your path that might have an encouraging word from the word of God. Or they might even practically help you process through those things and determine what is right, what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak at, we are part of the Calvary Chapel Association of Churches, and I had the opportunity to speak at a senior pastors and leaders conference out in Golden Springs at Raul Reese's church. And what I felt that the Lord had put on my heart was from Nehemiah 6, where the enemy kept attacking Nehemiah, trying to get him to come down. Nehemiah was up on that wall, and he was doing a great work. But the enemy kept coming in to try to distract him, to discourage him, to get him to quit. And Nehemiah, in the particular passage that I was looking at from Nehemiah 6, he said, the work that I'm doing is a great work, and I will not come down, thus the work would cease. And there are so often, that it, there is so many times in our lives that things will seek to pull us back down to cause us to sink. And it's often things that someone has done to us, things that we live with. But then someone will come along to encourage you, to show you that you actually don't need to have a chip on your shoulder, that there's actually a higher road, a better way. Jesus set the example, as a matter of fact. And those people are priceless. Those that come in to help you along your way, Jesus referred to them in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And then the Lord will use people in a very special way to bring peace to a painful situation. 
Paul the Apostle would seek to be that man in this particular case in his letter to Philemon. He would mediate between the person who did the wrong and, the, and between the person to whom the wrong was done. Paul would seek to ask forgiveness of Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. And in verse 8, Paul writes, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. If you weren't here last week, remember the backstory. As Onesimus ran off, he worked in the house of Philemon. Whether servant or slave, even some say that he stole from Philemon and he ran off to Rome to blend in. And in that crowd, the Lord met him. He got connected with Paul the Apostle and he became a follower of Jesus. How do you repair a relationship that has been broken between now two followers of Jesus? It's interesting here, he says, Paul the aged. In the Greek language, if you're studying the Greek language, there is a one-letter difference between the word aged and the word ambassador. Some say that this word aged could have alternatively been translated an ambassador, and I think that that could have been a legitimate translation if they were to translate it here. But the thought behind that translation is Paul is acting on behalf of someone other than himself. And this isn't the only time that Paul referred to himself as an ambassador, for he did so in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That was his ministry. He hoped to take sinful man who was estranged from God and as an ambassador, he would represent God saying, the Lord desires for you to be in a right relationship with him. You don't have to be estranged. You don't have to be an enemy. Though your sin has separated you from God, it's as if God were pleading through us to you, be reconciled to God. And so thus the translation of being an ambassador seemed to be fitting. The power of the gospel first reconciles man to God and then man to his fellow man. But that's not how our Bibles translate it, though it could have. But what of the translation that we did read of? Paul the aged. Let me ask you this question. Could someone that was advanced in age shed some light on the importance of forgiveness. Somebody that was older, somebody that had lived life longer than you have, do you think that somebody that, let's say Paul the aged, he could say, hey, I know the importance of forgiveness. When you get to the end of your life, forgiveness is something you find that increases in value. And I wonder, even today, how many people that have advanced to the end of their lives harboring unforgiveness have now done so only to have wished that they would have forgiven at the end. So Paul writes in verse 10, I appeal to you now for my son Onesimus. This is now his son in the faith, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Paul was under house arrest in Rome imprisoned, 
And yet even in that state, he was still doing the work of the Lord and Onesimus came to know Christ. Paul led him to faith in Jesus. Last week I touched on of all the people. Did you know that it is believed that there were over 60 million slaves in Rome during this time? I mean, this is a massive amount of people for any place. But of all of the people in the world that Onesimus could run into, he runs into Paul the Apostle and gets saved. But now to Philemon, to whom this letter was written. Philemon, no doubt, was upset by what Onesimus had done to him. As I mentioned already, some believe that Onesimus had even stolen money from him because Paul later on, and we'll get there, will say, if he owes you something, I will repay it. So when reading this letter of Paul's, if you put yourself into a Philemon's sandals, so to speak, as soon as the name Onesimus was read, it no doubt sparked a serious emotional response. It could be the same way for those of you here today when somebody's name is brought up that it brings with it a whole host of upsetting emotions. And you'd understand how Philemon may have felt. In verse 11, he says, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, verse 14, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Interesting. There was a transformation that took place in Onesimus' life. It's the same kind of transformation that I told you about where you're a new creation and the old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you didn't realize this yet, Onesimus' name ironically means profitable. So you have a guy who's called profitable who's very unprofitable. How would you like that as a reminder? Oh, the cruel irony. The life that Onesimus was living before he met Paul and then ultimately before he met Christ was one that did not profit him. Nor did it profit those that were connected to him. I think that we can relate a lot to Onesimus and that sin profits nothing. Doing that which is wrong is very unprofitable to you in the long run. Sin it is pleasurable for a moment, though. I would be remiss of my pastoral duties, as it were, if I didn't tell you that doing wrong has its pleasures. Yet those pleasures don't last. But guess what? The consequences do. Moses, in the Old Testament, when choosing to renounce his position as prince of Egypt, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.25 that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Egypt has always been a picture of the world. And Moses chose to suffer with the people of God than, in, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Onesimus was in Rome, but not for the right reasons, but God reached him exactly where he was at. His name, as I mentioned, means profitable, but what he was doing was not. 
Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 16, 26. I'll read from the English Standard Version. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his own soul? What profit is, is it to you? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, what profit, is, what profit is it to you if you gain everything that the world has to offer and then lose your soul? Yet, in Christ, Onesimus understood the true meaning of his name. And Paul was blessed by the change that took place in his life, and he knew that Philemon would be as well. It's not until we surrender our lives to Christ that we find out what we were created for. It's not until we allow the Lord to be in complete control of our life and to direct our steps that we come to find out why we're here, why we're alive, why we're breathing. And he can take somebody who has lived an unprofitable, wasteful life and make it into something new, make it into something beautiful, make it into something that matters. And so Paul says, I'm sending him back. Receive him, that is, my own heart, verse 12. He says, I wish to keep him with me. He's a changed man. He's blessed me in my chains, Paul writes. Philemon must be scratching his head. He's like, are we talking about the same guy? Are we talking about the same man? This has got to be some kind of joke. It's like when your friends from the old days connect with you on Facebook and they ask you what you're doing on Sunday morning and you say, oh, I go to church. And they're like, yeah, right. What do you really do? You're married with kids. What? You're kidding me. You're the last person in the world I ever thought would be married because you just played the field all over the place. Are you talking about the same guy here? Only Jesus can take somebody with a bad reputation known for bad things and make him a blessing to those around him. You know, often in Christian circles, you'll hear it said, I may have to forgive you, but I don't have to like you. Being forced to do something never works out well because the heart is wrong. It's so much better to do what is right because your heart is right. But when you've been wronged, you don't want to do what's right when it comes to the person who wronged you. Yeah, sure, I'll pray for them. Bad stuff happens to them. Sure, I'll pray for them. May the Lord smite you. That's our prayer for them. So Paul, this is what Paul's saying here. Philemon, you're never going to believe this. I met Onesimus. He told me what he did. He told me why he's here in Rome. It just so happens he gave his life to Christ and I just so happen to know you. And I'm asking that you would please forgive him for what he has done. I don't want your actions to be out of compulsion, but rather voluntarily. Please understand today, each of you, that you can only forgive someone voluntarily if God has changed your heart. Because if God has not changed your heart, then you will be stuck in that continual time loop. 
of that incident, over and over and over again, you will find yourself defined by that moment, trapped with the same emotions in perpetuity. Yet, guess what? God can break the cycle of unforgiveness and give you a supernatural love and peace there. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Even those things that you would say, yeah, right they do. No, they do. I know. I've experienced it. And if God can do that in my life, I know that he can do it in your life. And so in verse 15, Paul writes, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. That maybe this that started off bad has now been used for the glory of God, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then, verse 17, you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. You know how many stories, even those of you that are here today, that absolutely are mind-boggling of how I've heard the Lord take something that was meant for evil and turn it into something good. How I've seen with my own eyes, not just in my own life, but in many of your lives, how God's power at work in your life can overcome the most terrible of situations. And it's not unprecedented. Throughout history, God has taken people that were in terrible spots, that had terrible things done to them, and used it for his good. And it's just mind-blowing. I am reminded of the story of Joseph and how he was sold into slavery by his own older brothers into Egypt. Talk about an ultimate betrayal. Your own brothers throw you in a pit sell you to a caravan of slave traders who make their way to Egypt where you're bought by the captain of Pharaoh's guard by the name of Potiphar. And just when you think that you're able to get your feet underneath of you, Potiphar's wife accuses you of trying to rape her. So then you're thrown into prison. When she was the one trying to seduce you and you said, no way, I won't sin against you, I won't sin against your husband, I won't sin against God, then you get accused and you get thrown into prison. And then while you're in prison, the buddies that you're with, one gets killed and the other gets free. And then Pharaoh has a disturbing dream. And his buddy who ended up getting set free remembered how Joseph could interpret dreams because he did so for him back in prison. And as he was Pharaoh's cupbearer, he was able to tell Pharaoh, I know of a Hebrew who is in prison who knows the understanding of strange dreams. And the long story short of it, Joseph is presented to Pharaoh. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He says, you're going to have a time of plenty, but then it's going to be followed by a time of famine that is the worst this world has ever seen. So store up for yourself in advance so that you can cover yourself during the famine. And so Pharaoh, seeing the wisdom, appoints Joseph to the number two position in all of the land. So he not only preserves Egypt, 
but he helps keep alive his own family in a distant land who travel to Egypt to buy grain. Where in Genesis 50, verse 20, he reveals himself to his brothers as the second most powerful man in all the world. And he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Only God can take that kind of terrible of a situation and use it for something good. And it doesn't just stop with Joseph. So often it's like, oh, that happens to other, to other people, but it never happens to me. Well, maybe you're trapped in a place where you have not yet surrendered that to the Lord and you have not waited to see the Lord's hand move in your life. So now for Onesimus, back in our text, he was not just a slave in someone's house. He was actually now a brother in Christ, a member of the household of the Lord forever. This changes things. You mean to tell me that that guy got saved? You mean to tell me that he's going to be at church? I'm going to have to see that person? What am I ever to do? That indeed is a dilemma. What are you to do when somebody hurts you or wrongs you? You know, Paul has this revolutionary statement where he's saying, hey, Welcome him as a brother. Welcome him as even you would welcome me. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. In Colossians 3.11 it says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or, nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. What's interesting is often when we in the United States think of slavery, we immediately go back to our own history. Where people will say, well, did you know that the Bible was used to promote slavery? Did you know that slave owners in our own country removed passages from the Bible that spoke about God's view of mankind? There was actually something called a slave's Bible that even these, these verses that I just read were removed, taking bits and pieces that pertained to slavery and removing them from the scripture of how God views man. The verses I read were removed, as were many others, including the story of Moses. So Paul's making a revolutionary statement here when he is telling Philemon and then other churches across the known world how man is viewed by God. That there is not a tier system. That Christ is in all. And it was Jesus and it was those who truly knew the word of God that carried out such great exploits to make sure that people were not treated less than somebody else. And says in verse 18, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, and this is where many speculate that he could have taken something from Philemon, he says, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. 
From this, we're led to believe that Paul was instrumental in leading Philemon and Apphia to the Lord, the husband and wife, and even Archippus, if that was truly their son. Paul jogs Philemon's memory a little bit with the things, with a reminder of the things that he had been forgiven of. There's nothing like looking at your own sin and your own mistakes to give you proper bearing in looking at other people's mistakes. And what God has forgiven you of, he can help you forgive others as well. If you remember back in verse seven of chapter one, there is only one chapter, Philemon one, verse seven, he says, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. When you choose to forgive, it not only refreshes your spirit, but everyone that's involved. Because when we're wrong, we rally our team, we rally our friends, and now we're all against this person and we all hype it up. And this isn't saying that what they did is not wrong. This is not saying that God will not judge them or hold them accountable. It has nothing to do with that. Because often when we talk about forgiving people, we think, well, does that just mean that they're off scot-free? Because they shouldn't be because what they did was wrong. Yeah, it was. God doesn't let things slide. God will take care of them. This is about you. Forgiveness frees you. Forgiveness unlocks the prison doors. It refreshes you. You don't realize what a burden it was that you were carrying with unforgiveness until you're no longer carrying it and you realize, wow, I just took that 80-pound rucksack off my back. I just dropped the double donuts on my baseball bat and I'm swinging freely. Wow. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter said, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the, pleasant, from the presence of the Lord. Maybe that's for you today. You're worn down and worn out, and you're a victim of your past, and you're trapped there because what they did was wrong. But you've held on to it all of these years. Never letting it go. You were very pleased to have God forgive you of your sins, but then now you've turned and grabbed them by the throat and said, pay me what you owe forever and ever. But forgiveness frees you and the other person that you've been making pay what they owe. Yet, Paul instructs us very simply and powerfully with how Christians should forgive one another. Forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. I'm not telling you that it's easy. I'm not saying that you're actually gonna start off liking it, but you'll like the results of it. You'll like the change that takes place in your life. You'll like how the Lord sets you free. You'll like how he takes that anger and replaces it with love, takes that turmoil and replaces it with peace. Only God can do that. You may never see that person. You may not be able to verbally say, hey, I forgive you. But in your heart before God, you can. And you can be set free today.
And Paul wraps up with in verses 21 through 25, where we conclude another book of the Bible. I have confidence in you following through with this. I have confidence in your obedience unto the Lord to forgive as you've been forgiven. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, he says, as he goes into some practical things for travel arrangements, he says, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The story of some random guy who ran away, no doubt as a thief, no doubt wronged someone, but realized that he wasn't just some random guy after all. He wasn't just a number in the masses. He was unique in the sight of God, so unique that the Lord sent Paul the apostle to the place where Onesimus would be met, where the gospel would be shared, where a life would be changed, that some 2,000 years later, we might have a greater understanding as the body of Christ of the specificity of God's love in reaching out to sinful man and how it restores relationships that have been broken that have every right to be completely burned. He can take enemies. He can take those that have wronged and have been wronged. And he can set the captive free. And he makes new creations he takes what was meant for evil, he turns it into something good. And then we in return give all glory, all honor, and all praise to the one and only true living God. And so today, if the Lord has spoken to you in your heart, maybe he's even brought something to your attention that you haven't thought about for a long time and you have not realized that you've carried it with you this whole time. I invite you to lay those things at the feet of Jesus and ask God, ask God for a special blessing that forgiveness might be found in your heart, even as it was in his heart to forgive you. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. We thank you for your living word. I ask, Lord, that you would set the captives free. I ask, Lord, that you would break the cycle of unforgiveness. Lord, we are not victims of our past. We are new creations in Christ. Those things do not define us. They were not made to define us. May we not allow those things to define us. Our identity is in you. And Lord, if you can forgive us, then help us, Lord, to forgive those around us. If we have wronged someone, may we ask for forgiveness first and foremost from you, and then secondly, if possible, from the person that we have wronged. And Lord, if there is no way that's ever gonna happen, then we ask that you would give us, Lord, 
a sweet time of fellowship with you where we might work through those things and have you minister to us. We ask that we would walk worthy of the calling that you have upon our lives, that we would not be brought down or sink down into any sins. But Lord, we would continue being a part of the great work that you are doing here on this earth. And so Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in our hearts and in our lives, even as it is in heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you need prayer for anything, after our service is concluded with this last worship song, our prayer team will be available, led by Pastor Jonathan and some of our other leaders to pray for you for whatever it is that you might need prayer for. If it's one of those things where you have unforgiveness in your heart, come get prayer. We'll pray for you that you might be set free from that. If you've never given your life to Jesus, come up and say, you know what? I need forgiveness. I've sinned. Well, lead you in a very simple prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So may the Lord bless you today. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name.